Hello, and welcome to the Seeking Health Podcast with Josiah and... And Jessica. And today we have a podcast that... Well, today you had something that you wanted to... Today I'm hosting. You're hosting. <laughs> All right. We'll just go with that. Yes. So I saw this article and I shared it on my Facebook, but I wanted to do a podcast about it mm-hmm. because it was like... I sent it to you, but I know you didn't have time to read it because <laughs> you were at work. But I was just like, oh my gosh, this article, I could have written it. It was just amazing. Like it's on purity, uh, the purity culture. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. Like almost word for word, I could have written it. And I find like it highlights a lot of really important aspects about the damage of purity culture. Mm. Um, and it's not just words on the paper. It's lived experiences of many women and men. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for myself, I was very heavily uh, affected by it. Um, and to this day. So I just wanted to go through this article and just read parts of it and discuss it because it's really good. So this article is called, I Kissed My Humanity Goodbye, How the Evangelical Purity Culture Dehumanizes Women. The the name is a, I mean, it's a play on word from the book, popular book of purity culture, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Right. Yeah. Which you've heard about. Did you ever read it? I never read it, but a girl I had a crush on was reading it one time. (laughs) And I always thought... Oh, I should read that book. <laughs> to try and <laughs> get an insider advice. <laughs> yeah, but that was my extent of... Yeah. But I was extremely influenced by the purity culture, I realized, sure. in hindsight. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Like, it, it is one thing that isn't talked about a lot, is that men are yeah. very influenced by purity culture. I think women are even more so, and that's why we hear more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I feel like nobody talks about the male component. No. Like I haven't ever seen a book or a blog or mm-hmm. anything. It will be the first one. I've seen some But posts. not this one. But this one is about women because mm-hmm. um, of this article. So, I mean, the, the Kiss Day Goodbye book, like uh, Josh Harris has since pulled it off the shelf, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. I actually yeah, really appreciate him. following him on on Facebook, Instagram, um, he has some good things to say in his deconstruction journey. I never followed him before. <laughs> I do now because he's just authentic. <laughs> um, but the book, like, um, yeah, it, I mean, it, we kind of, some people say it's like the first book in the whole purity culture thing, but really it wasn't like no. passion and purity from event, uh, from Elizabeth Elliot really preceded that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, his went bigger but like he was a single guy who was heavily influenced by the purity culture mm-hmm. and and taught to and yeah to follow all those principles he was young like late teens early 20s i think mm-hmm. um and and he's a public speaker person mm-hmm. like it's it's his personality kind of yeah. like you are or mm-hmm. i am or whatever like um, so it kind of makes sense, but I feel really bad for him because mm-hmm. <laughs> he can never live it down. Like it. Yeah. But anyway, this article, I Kiss My Humanity Goodbye, How the Evangelical Purity Culture Dehumanizes Women. So first off, evangelical purity culture. Mm-hmm. Big words. Three big words. All in a row. So, yeah, so maybe we should just explain some of these things so that going into it, people that are not familiar with evangelicalism or purity culture 
or I Kiss Getting Dating Goodbye might, um, just to give people a little bit of, uh, of a background. Evangelicalism, you probably know, uh, is, you know, um, focus, it's, it's a largely American type of Christianity that's very focused on the gospel, very fo- or that's another big word, very focused on the message of your, of this salvation message is for you personally, you need a personal relationship with Jesus, church attendance is very important, um, and evangelicalism really came into its own in the 70s up to the present, um, as opposed to kind of the mainstream Lutheran, Anglican, Catholic churches. So that's evangelicalism in a really quick nutshell. Purity culture, as you were mentioning, um, also came into its own within this time, um, but really has links back into history. Um, it it grows out of the Greek culture in which Christianity grew in the early couple centuries. Uh, Augustine is somebody that was formative in it. Um, Christians have not had a great view of sex for most of Christian history, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> especially in the West, because we're influenced more by Augustine and more. It's just very intellectual. It's very like, okay, when we say Greek thought, what I mean is like thinking that the body itself is bad and the spirit is good. That's kind of one way. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's evangelicalism right uh, there. <laughs> yeah, so we can have a whole podcast on that because, yeah, Plato, four hundred years before Christ, believed that we came from a spirit realm and then our body got stuck in this terrible world here, and so matter is bad and spirit is good. So the way to ascend is by thinking, for Plato, um, and he also kind of believed in a single thing, like not a God, but there's a single organizing principle of philosophy. Anyways, these, so when Christianity kind of came on the scene, came into its own Platonism and, and Greek thought were very popular and they kind of merged because they had common interests. And that has kind of stuck with us. Like Plato had a bad view of sex. Plato had a bad view of women and it kind of has come with us. Mm. Interesting. But purity culture, to get back to this article, um, really came into its own. And actually, something else I should say about evangelicalism is it became very driven by the market and by publishing. Like, there wasn't one church running it, but whatever books sold well in the States, it's like that was the guiding voice of evangelicalism, which is why some kid at like 19 or something ends up becoming a leader in this movement. Yeah. Which like in church history, you'd never have a 19 year old kid leading something. Okay. But just because of historical things, how they were, it's if you could publish a book, then you would, you know, you become. And he had connections. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I had a friend, like I, I've posted about puriculture a few times on my Facebook lately. And I had a friend mention like she grew up as a Christian, you know, and, and she was like, I had never heard of purity culture until mm-hmm. you mentioned it. And I was like, my jaw kind of dropped. I was like, what? Because it's had such a huge impact in my life and was such a huge presence that it's shocking to me that there might be Christians out there who'd never heard of purity culture. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but, but yeah, go ahead. But likely they've been impacted by it. Yeah, I think so. I think you can like, I think the church in general as a whole has definitely been very impacted by this teaching beauty culture where like women are responsible for men, like for men's lust. And mm-hmm. we'll talk more about that, but like it, it's very influenced, even if you don't know the term. Um, so I'll just read a little bit of this article, then we can talk about it. Um, yeah, since I had sent it to you and you hadn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. When I look at this picture of myself, I'm reading the article here, on my wedding day, I don't see a happy bride. I see a frightened little girl who was under incredible pressure from her family's ministry. Not only was I expected to be physically pure, I was expected to be emotionally pure. Emotional purity meant that I received approval from my father before I developed romantic feelings for men. So here we talked like a little bit about purity culture, which is like the woman's response. Like purity culture is you don't have sex before marriage. Right. Um, and also like you don't lead on anyone. Like you don't, mm-hmm. right? Like, like a woman... Um, it's responsible how she dresses or how she flirts or not flirt, not I should flirt. Say. Um, so that she doesn't lead men astray with their great desires. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like the part of purity culture is that a part of purity culture that goes even further. And I like relate to this. This is why this article is so good. Just the start of this even is the emotional purity. It's like you took it, Mm. A lot of people took it even further than than physical purity. They brought in emotional purity um, where you shouldn't even, like, have a crush. You shouldn't even on someone because then you're no longer pure. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. I think we, like, we've talked before about how, like, you can have basic rules in the Bible, yeah. but then you want to protect yourself and your kids, especially from going too close to the boundary. So you add another boundary to have a wider, mm-hmm. like, protection. Mm-hmm. And then we add more and more and more mm-hmm. until you're at, like, emotional purity. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, then the article continues. In my fundamentalist church, we didn't date. We courted. We didn't really fall in love because... Falling in love was lack of self-control and failure to guide our hearts. Falling in love was for, quote-unquote, worldly people who didn't read their Bibles and pray for God's will. Wow. So falling in love is bad. Yes. I really liked what you said before about um, these fences around the law, like the law, Mm -hmm. like there might be a principle there. That's not a bad thing, but then you build and and it gets crazier and crazier as you go. Because I think that, I mean, it's not a crazy thing to tell your kids don't have sex before marriage. Like there's plenty of people that are not Christians that do the research and say, hmm, maybe I shouldn't have sex before marriage. Like that is a completely reasonable. Or at least before a committed relationship. Or at least a committed relationship. But there are people... Like, like that, I don't feel like that's a crazy thing, you know? Um, but then modesty. Okay. Well, like, sure. There, every (laughs) modesty can be a reasonable thing, right? Like 
dress mm-hmm. appropriate to the situation. Yeah. But then what gets ramped up and crazy is when you start telling women, especially for some reason you don't tell this to men, but you tell women, if a man lusts after you, that's your responsibility. Yeah. And that's really wrong. Yeah. And then they ramp it up even more to say, if you fall for somebody or if you have any sort of romantic feelings at all, then that's a sin. That's the same as lust. And that's where this gets like even, like, I don't think, I don't think Christianity has a great view of sex, like Western Christianity, No, (laughs) but this purity culture is like another level. It's a huge other level. And it's, yeah, it's a train wreck. It is. Emotional disaster. Yeah. It's too many barriers around a guiding principle. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like there's something there that's not bad. That's good advice. I would say kind of wholesome, good advice. If you could say it in the right way, which is hard to say it in exactly the right way. These are difficult things, but you would hope that you could walk it through with your kids. But somehow it just got ramped up and crazy. A huge part of that is the modesty called like modesty is just linked so closely to this whole purity culture thing, like for mm-hmm. women and for girls, like, and it's huge. Like you end up thinking about it all the time. Like I, yeah. I think about it. If I bend down to pick my shoes, make sure I bend the right way. I think about it, what shirts I can wear and you're depending on your build and your chest, like it's super hard to find shirts that are modest. So then you can't be stylish at all. Mm-hmm. So like you may not feel good about yourself. And um, it's just so many rules. Like you just think about it all the time, mm-hmm. like just all the time. <laughs> um, and it becomes like almost obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's just not, a healthy way to live that you're so worried and preoccupied about your body that you can't relax or just you're thinking about it all the time yeah <laughs> yeah have a hard time loving your body and yeah definitely yeah. you don't accept your body because it's it's just a temptation for people and it's just supposed to be kept in wraps <laughs> for your husband and mm. like it it how is that positive? Like, yeah, that's really powerful. What you just said that your body is a temptation for others. Like how we define things is so powerful, right? Yeah. And if you think of your body as almost a sin that you need to hide, like yeah. a tool of Satan. <laughs> yeah. Like that's basically yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Or what there's like, you know, it's like, extremely negative. Like mm-hmm. I know for myself, I had no positive view of sex at all. Mm-hmm. From growing up until recently, honestly, <laughs> till mm-hmm. I like made myself pick up a secular book on sex and made myself read it. Like I closed my eyes when I borrowed that book on my Kindle. <laughs> like, but it's just like I made myself read it and it was so powerful to be like to read how positive it talked about it. Mm-hmm. I had never read or heard positive like that about sex. Like, it just, like, never. We're so obsessed with sex and the purity culture, but in a negative way. It's like, ugh, that's gross. That's, like, oh, you shouldn't, like, keep it for your husband. <laughs> 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 it makes no sense. Oh, 
But this emotional purity, I heard that. I read a book as a teen on emotional purity. It was a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, like, emotional purity means you have to re- receive approval from your father before you can develop romantic feelings for a man. Um, and then her fundamentalist father often told her, follow God's will and the feelings will follow. And it's just so messed up. Like, I remember this type of teaching. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point being so confused in our beginning of our relationship. Because I was like, what do I do? Like, I I, uh, I have feelings for you, but I need to keep myself pure. How do I keep myself emotionally pure while needing to know if I want to marry you? Like, it, it's such a struggle. Like, how mm-hmm. do you... Because organically, a relationship, you naturally <laughs> develop feelings. Yeah. Um, but I felt such a huge pull in opposite direction and a struggle with that. Um, and my mentor at the time said, like, it's normal that you have more feelings as you explore this. Like, it, yeah. it's just, it's normal. Mm-hmm. But it was so taught against Yeah. that how do you fight those voices in your head and allow yourself to make a good decision in who you're attracted with if you're not even supposed to really think about them much like how do you think about it them and a future with them without getting emotionally invested at Mm -hmm. somewhat Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that actually it's actually interesting that we started off by talking about greek thought because it's very much like it's all in your head Yes, you know, we have to just in intellectualize. Head. Yeah. And then, well, just do the right things, however that was worded. And then the feelings will come, is the promise. Follow God's will. So that's like intellectual, you mm-hmm. know, do the things, memorize the verses, do the things. Um, and then the feelings will follow. The feelings are from the body, right? Mm-hmm. Feelings are located in the body. We know this now. Um, and the body is connected to the brain, you know, like in... Um, well, obviously it's connected to the brain. What else would be connected to? <laughs> so that in a serious voice, like I'm saying something important. Um, but like, it's trying to teach us not to listen to our bodies yeah. and just do the head thing and then the feelings will follow, but that's not actually how things work. No. It's no. all supposed to be connected. Yes. There's the holistic, like body, mind, spirit, like it's all connected. Yeah. It's all together and you can't just think you're a part of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like growing up, it was all about the head. Like it, mm-hmm. that was prioritized. That was held up. Um, even like, even hearing like women can't be trusted as much to make, like can't make decisions as much mm-hmm. because they're emotional. Yes. And that's looked down on. And there is not a verse in the Bible that says women are emotional. And and yet, how many times have you heard that oh, in the church? Oh, so much. But that was, okay, like going back to not Plato, but Socrates, the guy that taught Plato. When Socrates was about to die, he asked for his wife to be taken away because he didn't want to be distracted from spiritual pursuits. <laughs> And he thought that having his wife there because she's so emotional and she's <laughs> so that would distract him from being from being able to ascend because he thought that the way to ascend was through intellectual whatever. So hmm. like this sort of thinking really it gets it gets wrapped up in stuff. Yeah. And 
you can start to say, well, let's get rid of that. But then it's like, well, where do you stop pulling the thread? You know, it's, it's it hard. unravels everything, it unravels everything. But like one thing we can do is, and in my master's degree, we were very ex- like conscious of this and we tried to point it out like, Hey, that is Greek thought that is Platonic or that's Gnostic or whatever. But you mean it's not biblical? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it it gets taught all oh, the yeah, time. For sure. It gets taught all the time. And and people like it and people like, oh, that's like that makes so much sense and it promises yeah. like this is the way to do things and you just everything fits in the box and then you do yeah. these things and then you have perfect kids and like and it sells books and you know. Well, I think like a lot of parents got into this purity culture thing for their kids because they just um they just want the perfect experience for mm-hmm. their kids. They don't want their kids to get hurt and their hearts broken through dating. So here's courting, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is basically engagement from the start. Because, like, you court for marriage. So it's very serious. Yeah. I mean, like, you and I court it because that was a requirement for my family and my dad. And it it was so serious. Yeah. Um, that looking like, I even had a friend at the time, we were at Bible school, who told me, like, you guys are so serious, lighten up, have fun. I'm mm-hmm. like, well, no, like, that's dating. Having fun together, that's dating. That's, like, that's wrong. Like, we're courting. courting. But, like, it's almost getting engaged right away. Like, it's, I don't know. And that's a period of time that you just set up um, habits for your relationship. Yeah. But we just... We're so focused on being so spiritual and so serious because we were exploring marriage together. Yeah. <laughs> That's what courtship is. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting engaged without knowing the person. Yeah. And you have all these well, expectations. Betrayal, but <laughs> well, yeah. Courtship's a step below. <laughs> yeah. And and there are betrothals in this culture. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's almost... It's almost like getting engaged, not quite engaged, no. but like we were, we were already like talking about marriage before we were even dating. Yeah. Well, that's pretty the much. whole. Which puts a lot of pressure on things before we're having any fun, before we're. Yeah. And then also I was really influenced by this emotional purity thing. So we were talking about marriage before I would, could even allow myself to be like to connect myself emotionally to you mm-hmm. <laughs> like how healthy is that yeah it's messed up um i keep reading this a little yeah. bit because it talks more about it in the article um what we're talking about following god's will meant getting prior approval before doing anything and emotional purity meant getting prior approval before feeling anything that's just so fascinating. It's like mm-hmm. following God's will means getting approval um, before doing anything. It's like before starting to date or anything or court. But emotional purity meant getting approval, pri- uh, prior approval before you feel anything. And like you and I were influenced by this purity and emotional purity culture be- like because we did this. Mm-hmm. Like before you even asked me out. Yeah. And we were friends. We had only been friends for a couple of months in group setting. So not yeah. even very long. You called my dad. Yeah. So like, and it did not go well because <laughs> he didn't know you. Yeah. Well, like, no surprise he didn't know you. I didn't know you. <laughs> and yet it's like, felt like you can't even go any further in getting to know each other. 
before starting the whole process through my dad which like now looking back it's like uh, usually like that's only like when you want to get married that you ask the dad and even that I'm not sure anymore that it fits our culture Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah we were of age like we were legal we were we weren't teens anymore we were like we were in our and normally like you would like the dad would get to know you through watching how you are with his daughter yeah, and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, through the dating experience. Yeah. And... and so then he could give his two cents of like, yeah. I mean, maybe you want to look at this or like give some cautions or yeah. or his full blessing or whatever. Whereas... But if he doesn't know the guy at all, yeah, and and then or maybe he knows him, but he hasn't seen how he is with his daughter. Exactly. But that's the point. It, like, everything is backwards with It's this. all backwards. Because, like, we did, we hardly knew each other, but we knew enough that we were interested in marriage. Already serious from mm-hmm. the get-go, because that's how I was taught. Um, so then he asked my dad for permission to date me, and all hell broke loose, because he <laughs> used the word date instead of court. How dare you, you heathen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's how it comes across. But this is another aspect of purity culture. It gets so caught up in the words. Yeah. It gets so caught up in that that it discredits other parts. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you back up a step and look, okay, he used the word date, but he's calling me to ask for my permission first. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not dating. <laughs> dating would not do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and something, th- this has become uh, a... Uh, hobby horse of mine ever since is what christians tend to do is they'll take synonyms so in english we have a lot of synonyms we have words Mm. that mean the same thing yeah right and dating and courting is the same it's the same thing thing. it's just the the actions behind that might be a bit different like but like etymologically speaking if you look at a dictionary it is the same thing yes Courting is a slightly outdated term, but it, it is, is the same weird. thing. Okay? Like, I even back then I was so embarrassed to use the word courting with people. And what Christians will do is they'll take a synonym and they'll be like, this is the bad part. This is the good part. <laughs> and then they have their their words. And then if you're listening to the sermon or you're part of the, if you bought the book or if you're part of the little bubble, then you're like, mm. okay, that's the bad one, that's the good one. Right. But the rest of the population are just working with the Webster's Dictionary. And yeah. dating and courting is the same thing. Like, we know plenty of people that dated and did, acted like us. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so, and we were definitely courting. We were following all the rules. Like, yeah. Because courting, in the sense that I knew it and was taught, is full of rules. And we mm-hmm. set up, like... We sat down at a Bible school in the lobby and we, um, with a pen and paper, and we set up all the rules we'd set up for ourselves before we were even dating officially. Like, it's crazy. Um, not natural progression of relationship at all. Right. <laughs> because, again, emotional purity, mm-hmm. you can't feel anything yeah. ahead of time. Well, and what stands out to me as well is this extreme emphasis on a pr- on authority. Yes. So huge. And this came up in our ATI thing, our ATI podcast. Following God's will meant getting prior approval. Okay, hold on a second. Following God's will meant getting approval. So is this God's will or is this the Father's will? The Father's will. Like the earthly father. <laughs> the earthly father. 
Well, of course, like umbrella of protection. And the father knows better than his grown-ass daughter. (laughs) (laughs) But like, that drives me nuts because it's like, again, this is looking backwards. At the time, worst years of my life, trying to be an adult who was raised well and but not able to please my parents because here like they they raised me they Mm -hmm. raised me into adulthood they were proud of me and they approved of me until i started making my own decisions as an adult Mm -hmm. a fully legal adult Mm -hmm. and then all hell broke loose because i was no longer under their control Mm -hmm. and i was no longer following every little thing they said because I was starting to discern God's will for myself. Yeah. But in these teachings, that's not how it works. Yeah. Never. You can be a 40-year-old single woman and you'll still be living at home under your father's authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if anything goes wrong in your life, it's because you've stepped out of your father's umbrella of authority. Yeah. Like, it, it's just messed up. Like, yeah. I really think they've they've, like, messed up their... Um, the order of things like yeah. you raise your kids well so that when they're adults you can let them make their decisions if you've raised them well they can make their decisions and will they make mistakes sure and I think that's why some of these parents a lot of these parents buy into these systems is because they made mistakes yeah. that hurt them but guess what? They learned from it. Yeah. But now they want to protect their kids so their kids never make any mistakes and never get hurt. Well, you're not going to grow up like that. Yeah. And we see that in some of these circles, so like this, women and men that are adults but don't act like it. Mm-hmm. Because they were never given the freedom to make mistakes and to live on their own and to mm-hmm. just grow up. Yeah. Growing up is hard. Growing up is hard, and there's no way to bypass it. And yet this system Mm -hmm. promises to bypass it. Yeah. But that means you just have big adults that are not mature. Yeah. Haven't learned the lessons they need to learn because they're just so scared of, like, following all the rules. And, yeah, growing up is hard, and, like, human life is hard, which is why we have cultures. Mm-hmm. And every culture finds a way to make it work, usually kind of through trial and error. Who knows how cultures do their thing? Like we've been, we've lived in at least three major cultures. Like we grew up, we spent time in, in Northern Ontario, and then we went to Quebec, which is a completely different culture. Mm-hmm. And then we spent time overseas in Niger, which is a completely different culture. And we understood that in each place, the ways that people handle things is very different, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like purity culture is trying to come in and just like completely change the culture. Yeah. The way that people grow up, the way that people date or like whatever. Court. court. (laughs) Alarm bells that go off in my head every time I say the word dating. I'm traumatized for life. Um, (laughs) But like you, like these are complex systems. Yeah. Like you can't just come in and change things and expect it to work it's like somebody that doesn't know anything trying to do an operation like oh i don't know let's plug this with that you know and it's like well it's a culture within a culture know what you're doing yeah and it seems like 
it doesn't raise kids well. It causes all these crises that don't need to happen and, and people aren't able to grow up. And then like it, it, it causes huge stress. Yeah. For and those development, development stages that needed to happen as a teenager get postponed. They'll yeah. have to happen at some point. Otherwise, there's a gap there. Because you need to have that natural pulling away, that little bit of tension, that yeah. all those terrible adolescent years. Yeah, they're there for a reason. They're there for a reason. Yeah. Because the kid is still, like, the, the stakes are low. You know, you can make mm-hmm. mistakes when you're 13. You can blow off a job or, you know, like you can do stupid things and you don't mess up your whole life. Yeah. But you you learn. But when you don't allow your teens to make any mistakes or get their heart broken at all, within reason, I mean, you're still a parent, then it's going to come at some other time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. The article continues, essentially, church leadership told me how to feel, she says. And we see that a lot. I mean, it's all these rules to follow. Mm-hmm. And the dad is in charge of the whole family and all the kids. And so it's just like the church leadership told her how to feel. Then she says, my problem was that I developed romantic feelings for my husband before getting approval. Because she went on a mission trip with him. And they had a bit of time to talk alone. And then they realized that they both liked each other. But then they never, like then they couldn't talk about it anymore until they receive approval for courtship. And this was a whole year and a half. Wow. So this is where it's different than my story because our story was not a year and a half. We got approval fairly quickly for us to court, though it was taken away after. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because it was too quick. Um, But she says during this whole year and a half, she waited for courtship approval she was expected to act and feel like he meant nothing more to her than a casual friend. How insane! When they felt like they were kindred spirits, like kindred mm. souls, like they, they had a connection, but they had to ignore it because they didn't have approval. And then a whole fucking year and a half? Like who? I mean, that's the dad, obviously, yeah. because that's who you get approval for. So they had to wait a year and a half for approval to court? Talk about control yeah. issues. Like, what's your issue, Dad? That's what's... insane. Like, wasted a whole year and a half. Yeah. That they had to, like, pretend that they were not even interested in each other, basically. Yeah. And couldn't have contact. And, like, that just screams control issues. Yeah. But this happens. It happens, yeah. I know someone who had who waited four years before they got married because of their the obligations that their parents set in place for them. And they mm. were adults. Four years. And like can we just say that sometimes dads are emotionally immature and have their own issues? Yeah. You know? Like the, and that's not... why you don't put somebody one person in charge and say you can never question them. Yeah. And if you question them you're questioning God. Yeah. Like that's not healthy. Nobody no. nobody deserves or like can steward that amount of power over another life. That's like perfectly. Each person can only make so many decisions in a life like in a day (laughs) yeah you know what i mean like you we wear out Mm -hmm. like sometimes you just you know you hear these stories of like oh successful people wear the same suit every day to work or something Mm -hmm. just so that like limits one decision that day or like 
like you, you'll have the same breakfast every day. It just yeah. keeps it more simple because like we can only handle so many <laughs> yeah. decisions. So like you get these big families because, you know, quiverful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but even if they're not big family, like you already have to manage your household and provide for your household as a father. But then you have to start to control all the aspects of your kid's life. It's too much. It's too much. A person is not meant to handle yeah. all that. And this is a decision that should rest on the kids with support from the parents. Yeah. And that that's how it should happen organically, naturally. Exactly. Not be such a big, huge deal. Yeah. It's not like they're getting married yet either. Yeah. Like <laughs> uh, so she said like what did she do in that year and a half where she's expected to act and feel nothing? She shut down her emotions. She says, this is a common experience for a young woman raised in the evangelical purity culture. For the sake of emotional purity, we are taught to deny, repress, shame, and shun our feelings. Wow. Wow. And it's true. Mm-hmm. Like, I I think back about my childhood or my teen years and like, I'll talk a little bit more here, but maybe I'll just skip ahead to part of it. Like she says, like, if you have a crush on someone, you have to confess it because it's like, it's sin. Mm. That's emotional purity. Like it's sin than if you have a crush on someone. Mm -hmm. So I remember that for myself as a teen, like late teen, having a crush on someone, confessing it to my dad, and he shut down that relationship. Well... That was that How friendship. It, it wasn't a relationship. It was just a friendship. It was completely one sided. It wasn't mm-hmm. even two sided. And yet I had to tell my dad. Like that's kind of like it's, it's overstepping. Kind of gross. Weird. Like it. Yeah. 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 And so okay. So take that for example. Like and then, how often do you want to do that? <laughs> like you don't want to. You did it. I did it once. That was enough. Mm-hmm. I shut down the emotions. Like, I didn't have other crushes. Mm-hmm. I was done with crushes. <laughs> but, like, that's not healthy. It's only recently I feel like I'm really reopening up some of these feelings. Mm-hmm. After, like, a decade and a half yeah. or two decades. But it sets up such a high standard that you have to shut down mm-hmm. to be able to cope. Yeah. That's just, like, that's not healthy at all. Yeah. But it's necessary in this culture. Yeah. And it, like two things there. One is shutting things down and the other is calling things sin that are natural. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, if we're existing within this framework of evangelicalism where we believe in a holy God and we believe in heaven and we believe in hell and we believe in righteousness and all that stuff, you got to be really careful not to call the wrong thing sin. Yeah. Because sin is a, Big fucking deal. Well, sin, if you call this sin, it's equivalent in sin terminology yeah. to a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> or to keep it in the in the same category, like if you sin, like if you if you have a feeling for somebody, then that's the same as having sex with them or... Yes. Yeah. Which, like I know we're not going to talk uh, about males and or guys in purity culture, but that that is huge as far as like, like my story, because 
you know, if you have any sort of romantic thought, then that is interpreted as a lustful thought. And mm-hmm. there is a difference between romantic thoughts and lustful thoughts. Yeah. Um, and then lustful thoughts is seen as exactly the same as sex or even raping somebody. Yeah. And like, it's literally taught to be at that level. So like, how can you be like a 14 year old boy that has all sorts of hormones and walking down the halls of your high school and feeling like you're raping everybody that you, you know, like that, that is a terrible burden to put on somebody. No kidding. No kidding. Like that, that's just, how do you handle that kind of stress? If you're like, if you're a sensitive person that cares about that, you know, or, or that feels that judgment, like, yeah, that's terrible. I know. Yeah. It is really, really terrible. Mm-hmm. But like within this story, like even just feelings, just romantic feelings are seen yeah. as sinful. Well, I remember years after we got married, even just realizing like attraction as a young person is actually normal mm-hmm. to people of the opposite sex and just realizing like oh that's just a god-given thing like it's normal yeah. to be attracted to different people like it's you're seeking your romantic partner like that's mm-hmm. just normal part of life and it's like i still remember find like finally understanding that mm-hmm. as an adult yeah already married and like it's just like wow mm-hmm. <laughs> that's so different than what we were taught yeah she gives this little example here um, that she was introduced to the idea of emotional purity um, from a book from Josh Harris, like we talked about. But she says, this is the story of a nightmare where someone's showing up. Okay, I just have to add something here. I heard this illustration so many times. Um, like it was held up a lot in the beauty culture mm-hmm. movement. So it's okay, so this nightmare where someone's showing up at the altar to get married but all their former significant others are, quote-unquote, you know, emotional crushes, mm-hmm. <laughs> are holding on to this person and each claiming a piece of his or her heart. That's crazy. Yeah. That's just crazy. Actually, I remember Bill Gothard. That was in his seminars. Really? I'd forgotten about that, actually, till now. But he had this diagram of women and men at the altar and then he had all these other people i don't really remember what he said about it but just that picture Mm -hmm. stood to me because it's like you're marrying all these people and i was like (laughs) okay maybe that was a different slightly different illustration so never mind but anyway in here the story she's saying from this book and i remember hearing this one specifically it's just like Every time you have a crush, you're giving away part of your heart mm-hmm. that then you can't give to your future spouse. I mean, that's just so wrong. Yeah. And yet when you have kids, they tell you to have all the kids in the world because your heart can grow to love them all the same. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I can't do that for your spouse, though. <laughs> um, so she continues the article... My mom and dad told me when I was very small, like five or six, that while my friends might date, we didn't date. We courted. Because dating is practice for divorce. I heard that so much. Like, we weren't in purity culture or HI stuff when I was a kid. And I remember my parents were just like, you can date when you're 16. 
Um, and then as a young teenager, we got into fundamentalism and all these rules. And suddenly it's like, no way, you cannot date when you're 16. You can't date till you're ready for marriage. And even then it has to be courted and it has to be approved through the dad and all these rules. Like, it's just no fun. They took all the fun out of it. Um, the article continues, and even after that, they would quiz me to see if I had a crush, and I would pride myself on saying, no, that's bad. When I was going through puberty, I did have crushes, and I confessed them in great agony to my mom. Sure, I was ruined to keep my heart for the one I'd eventually marry. Her response would always be a sober, well, lift that up to the Lord. Just give it up to him. You're too young to get married. You have a crush and you confess it. And it's this huge deal to bring to the Lord because you're too young to get married. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just a crush. Yeah. Like it's just don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's the body being what the body does. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's a development stage. Yeah. To like... And it's practicing for life. It's practicing for for your future spouse, but also for, like, even after marriage, you have friends with girls and guys. Yeah. Not, I guess not crushes, but, like, having a, a friend that's a girl is different than having a friend that's a guy. But, like, even after you married, wouldn't it be possible to still get crushes? I mean, like... Yeah. Like, oh, wow, that person is really nice. And yeah. you kind of feel extra feelings yeah. for them that you don't necessarily feel with other people. Yeah. What do you do with that? Yeah. I mean, okay, so as I let my emotions open, that's happened. Mm-hmm. And it's like the end of the world. Like, what a horrible, horrible person I am. But also, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Whereas, like, these teen years where you get these crushes and you, you learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you're supposed to do at that age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I had exactly the same thing. Yeah. And and we've talked about it yep. as well. Yeah. Um, but probably a lot of couples don't because it's so cloaked in shame. Because yeah, if it's you even shameful. feel any feelings and you've already committed had, emotional already adultery. Emotional <laughs> adultery. Which emotional adultery is a thing, right? It is like a you thing. can but it's not just like, well, this person's really nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I met this person at work and thought they were nice. And no, I guess that's a crush. I guess. No, I guess like that's <laughs> divorce worthy. Like, I mean, if you're texting uh, for hours and hours and, and it's you, different. Like, it's just differences. Like, yeah, it's not the same. And and that is something that really um, does frustrate me. Like, uh, this is maybe a tangent, but. You know, evangelicals really emphasize the sinfulness of all humans and everybody's a sinner and like we all need God's grace and we all deserve to go to hell and, you know, but Jesus will forgive our sins and all that stuff. But some sins are worse than other sins. For sure. Like if somebody, you know, lusts after a woman and, you know, she bends down and he really lets his eyes go in there and like he shouldn't do that. He does it. That's a sin, right? But if he abuses a child, that is on another level. Oh, gosh. And honestly, sometimes the way people talk, it's the same thing. And it is not the same thing. I feel like sometimes the little sins are made a bigger deal in a church or Christian families, fundamentalism. Mm -hmm. It's made a bigger deal than the big ones. I know. It's like, oh, you're you're one child... um, 
left the faith, well, we just won't talk about it. We'll mm-hmm. keep it hush hush. But your other child is marrying without your consent. <gasps> it's the end of the world, and we're yeah. angry, and we're gonna like it's just the worst thing ever that they're marrying their best friend mm-hmm. <laughs> and you didn't approve of. It's just bad. Like it's just so messed up. Mm-hmm. It's just so messed up. These little things that are not even sin are held as horrible sins yeah. against you. Whereas they can be big issues that are or that actually are sin and they're swept on the carpet. I mean yeah. we even see it with like huge um leaders in the Christian world yeah. that have affairs or, you know, and it's just like, oh, this person was, was let go for undisclosed reasons or more. Yeah. But then like, there can be a small issue that's held up super huge. And yeah. so it's just, it's just messed up. Like, yeah. Well, there's a huge double standard and, yes. and clearly some things, well, it's clear what people care about. Maybe this is a bit of a tangent, but people care about, their image sometimes uh-huh. far too much or they care about like like their their pretty understanding of what should happen yeah getting broken like if somebody comes out as gay like that is just <laughs> unforgivable yeah but if you find out that actually you know this guy was abusing young girls or you know, like that. You just need to give him grace. A second, him grace chance. And a second God chance. God forgives and... him. <laughs> Which, like, like everybody, everybody that repents should have a second chance. But sometimes, even these people, like, it mean it's them. very. Yeah, it doesn't ever. It doesn't ever mean trusting them, like necessary. Like, yeah, yeah. If there's children, I don't think that you ever restore that trust. No. Um, and legally, you don't legally but um but also when people don't even repent um sometimes there's grace given because um you know we we like their teaching so much or whatever mm-hmm. but yeah and but you're right that some of these little things and some of these things that aren't even a sin get thrown in this into the same category yeah and people get shamed for things that are that should be good and beautiful yeah even if they are a little bit disconcerting at the time what we were talking about, I mean, that's what the next paragraph here in this article, it says, of this story, it says, it was assumed that having a crush and not marrying the person that you have a crush on was committing emotional adultery before you were even married. And so I shut down my emotions, but I experienced misery and guilt anytime my emotions, quote unquote, rebelled and dwelled on someone, quote unquote, prematurely. Mm-hmm. And I definitely experienced that pull and that back and forth and struggle when we were dating, courting, or beforehand, Mm -hmm. too. Like, how do I keep my heart? How do I stay emotionally pure Mm -hmm. while we're trying to decide whether to get married? Mm -hmm. This says this uh, illustrates that even school girl crushes are blown up into massive moral failures described as committing emotional adultery. This is dehumanizing because it shames a woman for experiencing normal human feelings during normal human development. Mm -hmm. So how do girls in strict courtship environments cope? We shut down our emotions. 
bad news is that you can't shut down one feeling without shutting them all. I thought that by ignoring, denying, shaming, and shunning my romantic feelings for him, I was preserving my quote-unquote emotional purity and guarding my heart. Instead, I ended up completely numb. It got so bad that eventually I believed if something felt good, it was probably sinful. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy, but I, I resonate with that. Yeah. I heard someone say, like, they were... They, a, a male, a guy who was taught, like, just came to believe that if something felt good, then it was bad. And if mm-hmm. something felt bad, then it was good. And, and yes, you did have parts of that. Like, mm-hmm. even wanting to be persecuted or something. Yeah, because, right. Because then it meant that it was good. Like, it, if you felt bad or if you're shut down. I don't know. I like remember it, having a conversation before we went to Africa. And I said something like, I feel like it'll be easier in Africa because it'll be so physically difficult to be there that I'll feel less pressure. You always wanted to be basically punished physically. I did. Because then it it must be right. Yeah. And that, I mean, clearly things weren't healthy in my <laughs> childhood. Yeah. <laughs> like other than just purity culture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, But I think some of this stuff had part in it well it's not just part of purity culture this Mm -hmm. this teaching is part of evangelicalism i think yeah subconsciously like it's kind of taught in a lot of ways yeah just look at like popular uh, biographies yeah and it's just they're not they're not really healthy yeah like it yeah since and and um you know, building on what what we said earlier about guilt and shame, like because we're so focused on the quote unquote gospel message that you are sinful, but Jesus mm-hmm. loves you anyways, and he'll forgive you for your sins. Like that is the thing that evangelicals say over and over yeah. and over. And by the way, Christians throughout history have not necessarily focused on that. They have often focused on other things such as social, you know, helping the poor or, Social justice. Social justice. Uh, I mean, that used to be our domain. Gospel that nowadays. used to be that used to be what Christians did: start hospitals and orphanages and do all the things, or petition government. Uh, sorry, but I digress. Um, because that shame ties so clearly into this message, I feel like any time it pops up, we're like, we'll take ten. You know, yeah, we'll supersize that, up. you know, <laughs> like, and there is a time that your child should come to you and be like, mommy, I think I did something wrong. And you say, honey, you did nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. But I feel like evangelicalism collectively never has that conversation. No, it's like, mommy, I think I did something wrong. Oh, what did, did you, you ever do something wrong? You deserve <laughs> to go to hell for that. But Jesus loves you anyways because Jesus is so good. Let's pray right now. <laughs> I mean, that is kind of yeah. the message. But what happens to all that shame? What happens to mm. the people that are walking around with that shame on them? Gets internalized. Especially the really sensitive people. Yeah. Like some people, it they just, it doesn't connect. But some people really take it all seriously. Oh, yeah. Huge. So you shut down your emotions and you wish you could become a robot. Yeah. It just resonates so much with this mm-hmm. article. Um, it says, well, then she continues her story. 
um, saying that they finally received courtship approval and it was okay, it was okay now for me to have emo- romantic feelings for him. But she was a mess. She was depressed, exhausted, confused, and literally sick all the time. Mm. That makes so much sense. And when you were talking about shutting down your body, I was thinking she's going to get sick. And I read that and I was just like jaw dropped open. Just like, wow. (laughs) Because like we had horrible courtship engagement Mm -hmm. time because of this whole purity culture thing and umbrella of protection thing and authority extreme authority teaching um for a single woman (laughs) Mm -hmm. in the church and um and by the time i got married i was sick all the time i couldn't work full-time i had to have a job that was part-time i had migraines like every week it was like you could count on it um which is my stress response that i know now um and they were so bad that we were they were so bad. They were horrible. You were going to specialists, and we were really concerned for a while about your really health. Bad. And yeah. yeah, like just the lack of energy and the, it was just crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I had nightmares every night. It's just, I read that and I was like, wow, that's not only me. Yeah. That's crazy. And it's not just me. I know someone else that I'm close to that. Same feelings, same mm-hmm. reactions. Mm-hmm. She says her journals from in those ages describe constant fatigue, exhaustion, confusion, depression, and general malaise. I'm like, if I kept a journal back then, that's definitely what it would have been mm-hmm. like. She spent many days in bed just trying to recover from the constant stress of living inside this repressive environment. And that's what it is. It's mm-hmm. repressive. It's like shut down everything except what we tell you you're allowed. Mm-hmm. This purity culture took a literal toll on my body. Purity culture is horrifying, horrifically exhausting. Mm-hmm. And it is. You're constantly having to be careful how you interact with the opposite gender. You constantly have to be careful how close you stand to the opposite gender. When you're in a relationship, you have to be careful about all the rules. How often are we together? Are we chaperoned? Does it look above reproach? Are we um, tempted to go too far? Are we getting too close too fast emotionally? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Are we... Too serious, not serious enough. Are we, am I dressed the right way? I don't want to lead him on. I don't like it's, and it's constantly like putting on the brakes to what should be a natural progression of events, like emotionally, physically in growing your relationship. But you're constantly putting the brakes on all the time, all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, that's just, that's not a healthy way to go to marriage. Mm -hmm. Like that, cycle i remember hearing about that in um seminary a class that we sat in one time like on parenting and or something it's just Mm -hmm. like if you're if the often it'll be the girl who constantly put on the brakes like even in dating or secular dating or whatever but then that continues after where she's the one who has to always be putting on the brakes because he knows he can just push and she'll put the brakes on whenever she's not comfortable well when you're again to courtship and I'll use our story, like we both were putting on the brakes all the time. Mm-hmm. 
Well, then how do you transition just after you have a big party called a wedding and you sign a piece of paper? How do you transition to marriage? Like, or the whole habit has become putting on brakes mm-hmm. and being careful not to get too attached mm-hmm. <laughs> emotionally. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I mean, it, it did not work for us. We followed all the rules yeah. um, very well. We took them even further, I would say, because yeah. um, we're both tend to rule keepers <laughs> rule keepers yeah. um and wanting to do everything the right way you know um and then it was really really hard to transition to marriage intimacy yeah emotionally physically all of that like it just didn't work for a long time because it, it there was we just lacked that natural progression yeah that needed to happen yeah, and the promise was the more pure you are, the more amazing sex will be. Yeah. But um, another book we read is named is called Pure. Forget the name of the author. My wife is going to Google it while I talk. And that was another book that was very validating because it's not just us that had a hard time, you know, in our first year of marriage trying to figure out this sex thing. Like she has one example in there that's a bit more extreme, but then she, like it's representative somewhat of a couple that they just they couldn't make sex work for a long time, and I think was it like ten years or something yeah, that they crazy. they only managed to have sex like two or three times, but like the it's just not true that you can intellectually tell your body what to do and we're going to do mentally all memorize all the verses. And then when it's like sex time, it's like, all right, get an erection and get relaxed. And you know, like that's just not how it works. No, no. This book is called, I found it. It's called pure inside the evangelical movement that shamed a generation of young women and how I broke free by Linda K Klein, Klein with a K. Uh, Amazing amazing book full of stories um collection of stories mm-hmm. really about women and purity culture um and the damage of it um just yeah amazing book that brought a lot of healing for me for mm-hmm. sure um definitely recommend it even if you haven't been affected by purity culture it gives a good look into what it's like mm-hmm. um, yeah this article um, that says, when spiritual authorities tell you how to feel, they are usurping your God-given autonomy and exercising a subtle form of spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. Spiritual abuse. It's shocking to see it in writing like that um, and to hear it, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, we were adults we were in our t- early 20s we were really young i know but mm-hmm. still we were still adults like yeah. we started dating like we got married 21 22 um so young but it's typical for this these movements mm-hmm. <laughs> um but this our spiritual authorities are telling us how to feel and using their control and made a horrible life. Like, it was so bad during our, our courting and engagement and stuff. Like, and our wedding. Like, those yeah. special moments were not special. 
Yeah. They were filled with stress, stress, and trying to figure out how to keep him happy and how to navigate this. And on the other hand, trying to figure out for myself, are they right? Do I need to listen to them? Do I? Mm-hmm. But I feel, felt, I really felt like it was God's will for me to court you, to be courted by you. <laughs> um, and then for marriage... But it's getting so much opposition that it makes you question so much, especially when you're taught that your authority is there to keep you safe and to protect you and to guide you. Mm-hmm. But that's spiritual abuse, a subtle form of spiritual abuse. Yeah. Maybe it's subtle, but like, well, it, it so took subtle. away my autonomy that is yeah. a God-given gift and is my right as a human being. And it made hell. It was hell. It was so bad. I never cried so much in my life than I did those two years. Well, we said it was our worst years. Worst years of her life. And it was our our courtship and engagement and a wedding. Like, it it was so bad. Like, we don't keep wedding pictures up because... Oh, no. No wedding pictures. Nothing wedding related around. It wasn't a happy time. It wasn't our day. It was just a fight. Picking and your battles. my memory, like, I just remember, because there was so much, you know, he said yes, and now it's no, and we were going to do this, but now we can't, and have a long phone call, and f- think we get figure- things figured out, and then he calls you, and he's all mad, and then I just remember sitting, um, we tried to get some space away, and you were sitting on a bed, and I was looking into your eyes, and... I don't remember exact. I don't remember exactly everything, but I just remember feeling like I could see the very bottom of your soul, like, and there was nothing left. You had just been stripped down to the bottom, and it was just like it was so hard to see. Like, you were trying so hard to please, but you wanted to also honor God, and you felt like, but this is the right thing to do. I couldn't reconcile following God's will for my life that I felt for myself mm-hmm. with following what I was taught to be God's will for my life of honoring my father and doing everything he told me to do mm-hmm. because that's what it meant in that culture following God's will means doing everything your father wants you to do mm-hmm. so how do you reconcile those two it doesn't work No, and I wasn't released to be my own adult and I had all those years of teaching behind it, and it just created havoc. Ha- ha- havoc. Because <laughs> there's just... supposed to be a difference between honoring and obeying. Those are not the yeah. same things. And I was told that by a mentor at that time, that there's a difference between honor. Like, you can honor your parents without obeying them. And I kind of had to really hold on to that teaching, mm-hmm. or to that sentence. But it was still hell. It was still horrible, because those teachings ran deep. Yeah. Um. And I just questioned everything. Like Mm -hmm. I just, I was pulled in two opposite directions. My personal relationship with God and what I was told I'm I'm supposed to do as a Christian girl. Mm -hmm. Well, this term spiritual abuse, like if you think of what abuse is, you know, like it's more than just hurting somebody, you know, it's abusing them, like if you think of sexual abuse, and I don't need to go into examples, but you know what it is to sexually abuse or domestic abuse, you know, 
a home should be a place of safety, but when it becomes a place of domestic abuse, uh, nobody's safe and people are scared, and then, and then they become fearful in other homes, right? Spiritual abuse, it's like there's lines that shouldn't be crossed, mm-hmm. and there's ways that authority should not be used, and yeah. there's ways that scripture should not be used, and there's trust that should be used, like that, that should be honored, and yeah. those things didn't happen. Yeah. And it it was because of the teaching. Yeah. I mean people have their own responsibility as well, but yeah. It's this this extreme emphasis on authority and father knows best and and here's the right way to do things. Yeah. And it's just so damaging. It's extremely damaging. I mean we've been married fifteen years and I feel like I've been fighting through the effects of it the entire time. Yeah. And I have too. Like, yeah, for sure. And that's why I have a heart like that's why I am passionate about this sort of stuff too, because yeah. it's like this is my life too. Yeah. Like, and it's it's just not okay, you know. No. Um, like this is supposed to create the perfect family. Yeah. But it it doesn't when you end up reaping the benefits or the reaping what somebody else is sown. Yeah. I guess I wanted to do a podcast in this article just because, like, I really related to a lot of it. Um, It was my story. These aren't just stories on the Internet. These are Mm -hmm. actual real people. Um, And if you know me, you know I'm a real person. (laughs) (laughs) And this is my background, and I don't talk about it a whole lot, I don't think. Um, But it's, I kind of just shoved it all down. And I've had to deal with a lot of it this year. Mm-hmm. And you just need to feel your feelings. Learning yeah. to feel your feelings. Learning to trust your gut. And um, yeah, as I'm working through it, I just have a lot of questions. Like, how am I going to do this for my kids? Like, my kids are at that getting to that age, you know. The oldest is 12. And I know that what we, how it was for me, for us was not right Mm -hmm. it was not healthy and it was extremely damaging and I do not want to cause this kind of damage to my kids so it just brings up a lot of questions so it's just good to read do a lot of reading and and really just heal my own self so that I can be more whole in in helping my children navigate their teen years Um, and I trust that I've raised them well so far and that I will be there when their hearts get broken because that's just normal part of yeah. development. And anyway, mm-hmm. I don't have a purpose necessary for this podcast. I just wanted to talk it through because I think it's a very important topic and I hope it can help someone to know that they're not alone in dealing yeah. with these feelings and in having to process the garbage of purity culture and emotional mm-hmm. purity culture. Yeah. And it's definitely part of, like we talked about, our deconstruction journey. And like we both encounter that differently. And part of my deconstruction journey is seeing how I have been in some ways complicit with this as a teacher. You know, I receive and then I pass on. And and then I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I don't think I was to this extreme. But it's all woven in. Yeah. It's all woven in. And... I think it's okay to say that's a big problem without knowing exactly what the solution is. Yep. And I think that's kind of where we're at. Yeah. And 
like you've you've said before, like you feel like you were raised in a cult, the ATI homeschooling cult, and that's certainly like where it was more extreme. Yeah. But it's all throughout evangelicalism. It is. Yeah. Like you can't get away from it. Like the no. book I kissed, dating goodbye. Like it, it went all over, and you still get this sort of teaching and this extreme modesty teaching and this idea that women are responsible for for not causing men to stumble. Like I see that on Twitter. Yeah. And I see that, you know, all over the place. Yeah. It's still there, and oh, yeah. it's still causing it's not tremendous going pain. No, it's not <laughs> going anywhere. It's just taking. In in twenty years there'll be somebody doing a podcast on this and it'll be different authors, but it'll be the same thing. Yeah. And just seek health in every way. Mm-hmm. Seek health and healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Now we need to calm down. <laughs> um yeah, this has been Josiah, Anna and Jessica for the Seeking Health Podcast, and we hope that you have a wonderful day and that you seek health in whatever way is meaningful to you. Have a good day. Bye.